This is a 980 CKNW podcast. 6.45, that means it's time to check in with Rick Forchuk. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, and we are starting with Tomb Raider. We are. Laura Croft is back again, this time in the person of Oscar winner Alicia Vikander, who uh, takes over this reboot of the original that starred Angelina Jolie in 2001. Now, Vikander says she was a huge fan of the video game when she was growing up, and in the early going, Jill, of this action-adventure thriller, it looks almost as if she's not yet finished growing up. And my first impression was that Vikander was too young to be playing Croft, looking, especially in the initial scenes, like she was maybe a 16- or 17-year-old. Uh, fact is, she's 30 years old this year. She did all of her own stunts, which were considerable. And as a character, she grows on you as the film progresses. The tomb in question here is on a mysterious remote island, and Matthias Vogel, played by Walton Goggins, a, a very, very good villain, is the taskmaster who has hundreds of workers slaving away under a tropical sun and under the barrels of several guns to secure a hidden secret for his hidden employer. He's been here on this outpost for almost a decade and still no luck. Laura, daughter of the enormously wealthy and now missing and presumed dead, Lord Richard Croft, follows his trail to the island where an extended scene in complete darkness has her and her shipmates smashed apart in a violent storm. Soon, they too are under the thumb of Vogel, who's happy to relieve Laura of her father's notebook, which reveals the secret location of the tomb. Now, Dad wanted the book destroyed because opening the tomb could be the end of the human race. Now, the action scenes are exhausting, with Laura fighting all manner of desperate characters in desperate situations. Special effects are excellent. And as a popcorn movie, Jill, this is just a great thrill ride. And in the end, it sets us up for a perfect sequel opportunity. The rating is 14A. That's Tomb Raider, and it's a good movie. All right. Uh, lots of action and excitement in that one, which is different from the next film we're talking about. Yeah, this one is Seven Days in Entebbe, and I was really looking forward to it. Turns out it could have been titled Seven Days of Boredom. Now, this film, which has a gripping, dramatic real-life event driving it, manages to take everything about the events in 1976, in which an Air Force, uh, sorry, an Air France passenger jetliner with more than 200 souls aboard was hijacked by pro-Palestinian terrorists, and somehow they managed to suck the tension and the drama out of it like a dry sponge soaks up water. In an incredibly foolish move, director Jose Padilla, uh, he um, did the watered-down remake of uh, RoboCop in 2014. Uh, Padilla had chosen to use an Israeli dance company doing an avant-garde performance using more than a dozen dancers sitting on chairs to flail themselves senselessly to the beat of a number of pounding drums while we're trying to figure out what's going on in the action of this movie. Now, I'm sure there's some artistic reason for having done this, but it not only adds nothing to the movie, because there is no explanation for its presence, but it seriously detracts from the key scene at the end of the film on the seventh day, which finally arrives, and it interferes with the actions of the rescuing commandos when the director has chosen to cut back and forth between his dancers and the military raid. Now, the film is very sympathetic to the two Germans who led the hijackers. They're played by Daniel Bruhl and Rosamund Pike, and it offers a strong case for the political motivations of the terrorists. It says very little about the Jewish hostages. We learn almost nothing about any of the hostages. We get some snippets of good dramatics as the Israeli cabinet tries to decide what to do. But at the end of it all, this is a badly staged movie. It does not further the work of at least the three previous films on the subject, and it's apparent 
inherent revisionist view of this piece of history does far more harm than it does good. Uh, the rating is 14A. It's seven days in Entebbe, and it was a huge disappointment for me, Joe. All right. Uh, and uh, with that, uh, we will move on uh, because uh, another very different film from the first two, uh, Love, Simon. Yeah, it's a teenage romance and a coming-of-age movie. It's very well-scripted. It's well-acted, particularly by the title character's Nick Robinson. He's from Jurassic World. And in many ways, it's a likable and sometimes predictable look into high school dynamics, the whole boy-meets-girl thing, with a twist. Simon is gay. His family, friends, and his classmates don't know that, and he takes uh, to communicating his feelings to somebody who knows only online, ostensibly another gay teen who has not yet come out. Simon becomes a blackmail victim as a classmate figures out his secret and wants something very specific in return for his silence. Uh, Greg Berlanti's the director here. He did Dawson's Creek, among many other things. He uses signature touches here to flesh out characters and demonstrate that uh, what is perhaps the first real mainstream gay teen movie isn't much different from a mainstream straight teen movie. Uh, they're all teens looking for the same thing. Rating is 14A. That's Love, Simon, Joan. All right. So three films uh, currently in theaters. Let's move on. What's happening on Netflix? Uh, Netflix has got Wind River out this week. That's from 2017. It's just an exceptional Oscar-nominated movie. The star is Jeremy Renner. He's a fish and wildlife officer on an Indian reservation. That's the Wind River Reservation, seventh largest in the U.S. Now, the shoot took place in bitter winter weather in Colorado, leaving actors and crew alike with frostbite as a result of the long hours spent outdoors. Renner's character, Corey Lambert, finds a Native American woman frozen solid in the wilderness and uses his close ties to the tribal elders to work towards finding her killers. There are many parallels here, Jill, to the Missing Indigenous Women's Task Force in Canada, and it's pointed out uh, that at the time that the movie was being made at Wind River, there were 12 unsolved murders of women in a population of just 6,000. Uh, Canadian First Nations actors Tantu Cardinal and Graham Greene also star here. It is an excellent film. The rating is 18A. That's Wind River, Jill. All right. Uh, that one on Netflix. Uh, Netflix also has uh, St. Vincent. Yeah, this is from almost four years ago, 2014. I think it's one of Bill Murray's best performances ever. Uh, here he is the Vincent of the title, a hermit-like neighbor to single mom Maggie, played by Melissa McCarthy, and her young son Oliver, played by Jaden Lieberhar, who went on to do a really key role in the movie It, Stephen King's It. Now, Vincent here is a Vietnam vet struggling with the remnants of PTSD from what he saw and what he did during the war, and he exhibits antisocial and antagonistic tendencies, making him an outcast. When Oliver comes home one day to find his mother still not home, he finds his way to Vincent's house next door, and there begins a special relationship that has interesting twists at every turn. McCarthy plays this one straight, not for laughs, and Murray is just superb. Uh, the rating is 14A. That's St. Vincent, Joe. I love that movie. I think I've seen it at least four times. Yeah, it's a terrific film. I agree with you. <laughs> that one's uh, worth watching. Uh, what about over on Crave TV? Uh, Crave has got a movie called uh, Cries from Syria. It's from last year. It's a documentary. It explores the five-year-long conflict in that country from the viewpoint of soldiers, politicians, and ordinary citizens whose lives have been torn into small pieces because of the vicious conflict that seems to have made that country a pawn of the various factions that include Iran, Russia, and the U.S., and maybe even North Korea. It's a gripping look at a country in crisis. The rating is 14A. That's Cries from Syria. That's on Crave TV. All right. And looking at television, because, of course, we need another game show with children. 
We do, don't we? Yes. Uh, this one's called Genius Junior. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is the host. It's a new game show that pits very young students against one another in a series of brainium, cranium, mental tasks, and tests of general knowledge just to see how smart they really are. And that is on NBC tonight, if you can stand the wait, Joe. <laughs> and I guess while they must do studies and, uh, and tests for audiences, that there's an appetite for this. But it does seem like there's a lot of game shows and such that have uh, kids. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Uh, the reason that they do is because uh, they get good ratings, and uh, television is a, a very, very interesting medium in that it's a copycat medium. Something works on one network while everybody else has to get into the act. So uh, we started uh, with uh, uh, how smart are you smarter than a, than a fifth grader, I think that's what it was called. Uh, so are you smarter than a fifth grader? That was the first one. Uh, since that time, we've had no less than seven game shows that feature children. <laughs> and more to come, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> All right. Rick, always good to chat with you. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next weekend. Thank you, Joe. That is Rick Forchuk. He joins us here every Sunday morning, letting us know what's happening in theaters, as well as what's happening on the small screen. Good to see uh, St. Vincent uh, on Netflix. And again, I'm a huge Bill Murray fan. I'll watch anything with Bill Murray in it. But he is fabulous in that film. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.